There is an extremely specific hotel in this world that is there to be Dusada. You will go there. You will be put in care in a VIP trip. You will be taken places. Food will be brought to you. You will be absolutely isolated. I'm going to leave it at that. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. The UFC is off this upcoming weekend, but I can assure you we have plenty to discuss on today's episode. Coming up, I'm going to get into even more fight bookings announced like Patty Pimlet versus Tony Ferguson. Plus, Colby Covington has called out Islam Makhlchev, and I'm going to talk a little NFL. We have a lot to get to today, guys, but let's start with what went down over the weekend. Gamrot defeated Fitzayev exactly as yours truly predicted a week ago. And call out Charles Oliveira. I'm into it. I'm into the call out. I'm into Gamrot. I think Gamrot's a great fighter. I thought Fitzayev looked better than I even knew Fitzayev was. Like, right? That was an interesting fight. And I didn't really didn't see a loser. I know that the ACL of Fitzayev went out, and I sh- certainly wish him well. But Gamrot calling out Charles Oliveira, I loved it, with one exception. He said, I think that Charles is going to lose. I think he's going to lose to Islam. I would have preferred it if he says, I don't care if he loses to Islam. I want to fight him. Because adversely, that would also tell the audience that if he wins, I've got dibs. I want him. If he becomes the new champ, if he does what DraftKings says he's a four and a half, rather four to one underdog to do, I would like a piece. And we talk about that all the time, right? We talk about calling out the guy that nobody's calling out, calling out the underdog. We talked about the missed opportunities by 185-pounders going into Strickland versus Adesanya, that they should have been calling out Strickland. They should have aligned themselves. And I like that Gamrot did it, and I also think he's sincere. I think he's very sincere. I think he thinks that Charles is going to lose, and I think he'd fight him off a loss. But Charles is still great. He would fall from... He fell from champion to the number one contender. If he's the number one contender now and he fought me, where, where, where does he fall to? Is it two, three, stays at one, depends on how the match goes. It's just one of those situations I like to call out a lot. I just think that Gamrot should have positioned himself. I don't believe there's not a backup on that card. And I like when a backup gets advertised, but it doesn't always happen. I was at Madison Square Garden for Covington versus Kamar Usman when Vincente Luque walked through the curtain for the weigh-in. I'm doing the show with Ariel, and we're looking at each other. What's he doing here? Then he weighs in at middleweight, but it was a main event fight. Then it later gets revealed to us that he had missed welterweight. He didn't mean to weigh in at middleweight. It was just one of these situations where it didn't really matter because we weren't expecting it. Nobody knew it was going to happen anyway. So a guy walks through the curtain, a guy to be a backup fighter, but he misses weight for the fight. So now he's not the backup fighter. Fine, we weren't promised a backup fighter, but Sergey Pavlich is the backup fighter for New York City in November. Very relevant. It's very relevant. That was advertised. We didn't ask. We're also not having to wait. I don't know why that got advertised. Perhaps it's because there are certain fights that the organization feels are weaker in terms of the glue holding them together. And perhaps it's just a coincidental thing. Colby Covington, March of this year, flew to England. Backup fighter for Kamar Usman, Leon Edwards. It was not revealed to us. 
until the day before when the weigh-ins happen. I'm only bringing that to you because there's the, the, the Abu Dhabi in October, we got a world title fight between Islam and Oliveira that Oliveira said three times he's not going to do. Oliveira has a history of not making weight, whether it's for a world title or not. So it's very hard to have an Oliveira main event that you don't have a backup fighter for, particularly when this is a rematch. And for the first match, you had a backup fighter. I'm just suggesting for you. It would seem as though somebody would be in that position, whether we've been told it or not. And the same thing goes for the co-main event. Paulo Costa and Chimaev, neither of them appears that they want to do this fight. Now, if they're starting to see that in their opponent, perhaps that'll bring them together. But neither guy is behaving the way that they have personally behaved in the past towards an opponent, towards the social media, towards building a fight. They're both getting very standoffish. And it would seem like a good idea to have a backup fighter, particularly for at least one of those two, if not both of them. And I think maybe that's an opportunity for Gamrot. I bring that to you because I don't think it's too late. There is a chance, and there's even a rumor that Justin Gaethje has already accepted that position, that he's quietly going to go over and sit in the front row and do it. I, I know that that's a rumor, but what's the point of that? And what is the point of doing anything in promotion if it's going to be kept quiet? That is the opposite of promotion. So get out there and make a little noise and either test their hand and make them reveal that it's going to be Justin Gaethje or claim that it's going to be you and go and take the spot, Gamrot. I tell you, get some support, at least for me. Patty the Batty is going to get whipped by Tony Ferguson. Now, this match kind of caught me off guard, I must tell you. And the internet exploded, as the kids say. But it really did. A lot of people reacted to this fight. And there was just a couple of thoughts, which is, first off, that Tony Ferguson got another fight. And I'm a Tony supporter. If Tony wants another fight, there's a part where you go, hey, that's great. I'm happy for him. And there's another side when you bring in the old to compete against the new where the expectation is rather obvious. So it's a very interesting position, though. Look, Tony Ferguson's a tough night for anybody. And Tony only has fought real killers. I mean, the, these guys that have got the nudge on Tony are the best of the best. Tony Ferguson, until just recently, has been ranked in the top 10 for his entire career. I mean, as far back as you can remember Tony Ferguson being a 55-pounder, he's been ranked in the, in the top 10 until he just lost that fight to Bobby Green. And the point on that is Bobby Green was his sixth loss in a row. His sixth loss in a row, but he was still ranked in the top 10. He lost five fights in a row. He's still in the top 10. I'm just speaking to the caliber opponent that he's taken on. Tony Ferguson is the one that gave Justin Gaethje an opportunity. Tony Ferguson is the one that created Charles Oliveira. I mean, no, no part of the Charles Oliveira story, getting to main events and getting to championship opportunities, no part of that exists without Tony Ferguson. So I know what I'm looking at as much as you guys do, right? You, you, you can see when a guy's time is passed, but, but you're still juxtaposing that against a guy's time who's never arrived. 
Patty the Batty has, has never arrived. It's a matter that Tony just slid out of the top 10. Patty the Batty's never been in the top 10, never even threatened to be in the top 10. When Tony Ferguson left the top 10, it was very arguable. Does a loss to Bobby Green mean that you're no longer in the top 10? Patty has not done anything to ever argue that he could be in the top 10. I'm not giving Patty a hard time, by the way. I look at it very, very differently. I look at Patty with some real positivity, but I also look at a guy that can't get his weight under control. I, I look at a guy that every time he goes on social media or Instagram or does some kind of a podcast with Barstool, the only comments have to do with how big he is, which is a direct contradiction to discipline and efforts being put into the gym. They don't go together. If you're doing the workouts, you're burning the calories. If you're not doing the workouts, you're not burning the calories, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very specific thing that you're looking at. One guy just exited the top 10. That's true. That just happened, though. Another guy has never even threatened to be in the top 10. One guy is on a losing skid. That's true. Another guy openly said, I'm not even tough enough to walk out there. I mean, it's been a good year. Somewhere right along those lines. I mean, we're, we are pulling up on a year since the Gordon fight. And whatever the injury was, it, it really doesn't make a bit of difference. If a guy says, I can't even go out there. I can't even walk out and try. I don't quite know how you're giving him a nudge over a guy that just left the top 10. And I haven't seen Tony have a big problem unless a guy was able to get on top of him and or stop his takedown, right? One thing when Tony did start to slow down, he started shooting a lot less. Now he starts trading a lot more. Even Tony in his best of times was very, very hittable. He would hit you back. He would kick you back. He'd move at weird angles. Eventually he would change elevation, come underneath, get you to the ground, and then that would change everything. Even when guys would get back up, they now have to deal with the threat of the takedown. The threat of the takedown is much more damning and daunting than the takedown itself. The takedown itself is this peaceful, glideful thing where you get brought down to the canvas. The threat of the takedown. And I, I just say that because when Tony quit wrestling and or started getting out-wrestled, that's where the real problem was. I don't, I don't know that I see that with Patty. I do see some positives with Patty. I do understand that level of conditioning. I do understand that that, that great cardio as a byproduct of weighing 900 pounds and having to get down to 155. I do understand that there's a lot of runs involved there. There's a lot of lung capacity there, but you've also got to understand a guy being on a skid while being active is a much better situation than a guy sitting out. Period. A guy in the gym training, however you agree with it or you disagree with it, then walking out to competition after having weigh-ins, after having travels, after dealing with those nerves and emotions versus a guy who's done nothing that involves exercise for one year. I mean, this, this isn't like a hard bet. It's a unique position. And... The one thing I don't like about the position is I do think that Tony is going to beat Patty the Batty, and then that's going to buy him right into three more losses in a row. It does need to be a situation where if Tony wins, thank you and goodbye. If Tony loses, thank you and goodbye. I think that would make everybody have a little bit more ease with this. 
But make believing that Tony Ferguson, who just left the top 10, is going to get a jump put on him by a guy who's been sitting out a year, never claimed close, never, never even remarkably close, not even in the most corrupt ranking system on earth was he even considered for top 10 status. I think you need to keep that in mind. Versus Ian Gary. I gotta tell you, it caught me off guard. And you wanna know why? Ian Gary did an interview, and this was like in May. This wasn't very long ago. He said, The only guy I'll never fight is Luke. And just to remind you guys, they're teammates. They train out there with Henry Hoof and whatever that gym calls itself now. It was Sanford MMA, and it, it, it was the Black Zillions, and it was something before that. And I don't know what they are now. I, I don't think they're either of those, but it's the same team with the same coach and the same guys in the same building. So I don't know what, they come up and change their sign or something. At any rate, I don't want to give them a hard time about it. I'm sharing openly. I don't know what that gym's called. And it's a real killer gym, particularly for 170 pounders. You got Ian Gary in there. You got Luke in there, their teammates. You got Gilbert Burns in there. This is Kamara Usman's original gym. There's a lot of rumors saying that he's now back or coming back there. Did I mention uh, Rachmanov? Did, did I slip that name in there? So what I'm sharing for you is it, it is important at some point to establish pretty quick if you think you have a future star. Is he willing to compete with anybody? Particularly if you've got a factory kicking out 170-pounders. Have you got one gym that's got six 170-pounders ranked in the top 10? We got to be crystal clear right now. You guys are going to have to fight each other. This isn't one guy. This isn't your coach or mentor. He brought you up, used to sleep on his couch. This is a whole room full of dudes that weigh the same thing with the same goal that are really close, particularly within the rankings. So in that regard, I, I very much understand the concept of getting them together and having them compete. There's a few guys that just don't understand what we're doing here. I mean, there's a few guys that just don't understand. They will go out and win t 10 out of 11 fights. Which for anybody that could fog a mirror, they would have fought for two world championships if they'd done that. But then there's some other guys that they don't know how to do it. They don't understand what we're doing. They're not interested in learning. They're not going to sit back. They're not going to study. They're not going to listen to advice. They're going to go in the gym and put their little ear pods on and go shadow box in the corner, right? Like you've got guys like that. One of these guys is that guy. And the other one is Ian Gary. And I'm going to leave it at that. But Ian Gary has a skill set. And it's not just go out there and, and punch and kick and then say something that Conor McGregor once said in a microphone to Joe Rogan. It's not just that. He knows how to build things up. He knows how to go into a fight and build things up. I was in Boston for his last fight. He did some really incredible things. He came to a press conference and he, he broke bad on Neil Magny. Saw an opportunity, went with it, kept a straight face as though he really meant it and, and believed some of these things. It was, it was very viable. He did a workout in a bar the night before. So he weighs in Friday morning. He's done for the day. Then you come in and do you the, the pretend weigh-in, but he's done. Well, no, he takes matters into his own hands. He books his own PR event and goes and does a live workout in a bar that got shut down by police officers. I mean, it was great. Everything he did was great. But he also had a manufactured legitimate appearing anger with Neil Magny. 
And so we're removing those things. We're taking the best parts about having Ian Gary on your card. And we're removing those things. That's where it got me by surprise a little bit. Ian's ranked 11. Luke's ranked number 10. And there's other guys in that gym that are ranked higher. Like, if that's our number one goal is just to see, can we get two teammates to fight? Like, is this going to be a problem down the road? If it's going to be a problem down the road, let's just find out right now. We're all tired of finding out when, when a guy becomes a contender and or a champion. So let's just find out right now. And if that's what the objective was, I think that I would understand that to a pretty high degree. But if that specifically wasn't the objective, what are we doing here? How did we get here? How, how did we go from Ian Gary calling out Wonderboy? Wonderboy's on that same card against Rachmanov. Ian Rachmanov and Luke are all teammates. So... Luke and Wonderboy have fought, which you guys don't know that, but just trust me, they have. And it just becomes an interesting situation, right? Like, wait a minute, we're going to get Ian Gary, but Ian Gary has a commodity aside from the performance. Like, no fighter does. Fighters love to tell you how much they're worth and what their value is. They've got the same commodity. They're interchangeable mediocrities. And your only commodity is the 15 minutes or less that you spend in the cage. Well, there are exceptions to the rule. And Ian Gary is one of those exceptions, but it would seem that we are castrating him from his ability to go out and do what he does if he's fighting the one guy that he says, I don't ever want to fight because I'm friends with him. And then where will that go within that gym? Where will that go within that team? You don't generally see these things work out, right? Jones versus Rashad, I think was the original, but they, they split up. They split up, moved to di not only different gyms, different states, and they never reunited. We got Kamara Usman and Gilbert Burns, but Kamara went out to Colorado and stayed. I mean, it, it's one of these situations of why does it have to be that way? Why can't you figure it out? And I know that's a little bit more the wrestler in me than the MMA guy, but the wrestler in me, it could be your roommate. If you guys are the same weight class, you're going to go and compete for the spot. You're going to go compete for the varsity spot. Then you're going to drive back home together and make dinner. I mean, it's just, it's one of these things where it's really not that big of a deal. Then you're both going to prepare in the same room at three o'clock every single day. And if there's a tournament, you're going to meet up again. And if one of you gets to jump on the other one, he's going to take his single and take a spot away. That's the way that it goes. I've only seen it in an MMA workout one time though. Maurice Smith was training Josh Barnett and Randy Couture. Randy was the heavyweight champion. Josh became the number one contender. Randy kept going to the gym and getting the workouts with Maurice. And Josh would come at a different time, or sometimes they were in the same gym together, but they would separate, one to be on the, the left side and one to be on the right side, they, but they figured it out. I would like to see this get figured out. I don't know why there has to be hard feelings. I don't know why things have to change. I really don't know. But I also don't know why we would take Ian Gary, that has a very unique skill set, and put him in a situation where he told us back in May, I'm not going to use that skill set. Have you ever tried to Google yourself? It is shocking how much of your personal information is available online with one simple internet search. Your address, your home phone number, your social security number, family members, all of this data is sold online by data brokers. This can lead to identity theft, but it's also really unsafe. This is why Uncle Chael recommends Delete Me. 
Delete Me wipes your personal data off the internet and helps you keep your information private as it should be. All you have to do is to complete one short online form with your past and most recent information and Delete Me's team of experts will take care of the rest. You will find that information is deleted within just a few days. Not only that, Delete Me will do a new search every few months to make sure your information has not reappeared online. Guys, they have made it so simple for us and using their service will save you so much time and stress. Delete Me has been in the privacy information removal business for over a decade, so you can trust they have this down pat. Don't fight the battle against data brokers on your own. Let Delete Me go to battle for you. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash chael and use the promo code chael. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash chael. Enter the promo code chael at checkout. That's www.joindeleteme.com slash chael promo code chael. Keep your personal data to yourself. Have you ever been caught in a rainstorm wearing the wrong pair of shoes? Guys, out here in the Pacific Northwest, it happens to us often. I love to take my kids out. I love to take the dogs along with us. We go on nice long walks through the neighborhood. But I hate throwing on clunky rain boots. And you know what I hate even more? Wet socks. What if I told you I came across a shoe that is lightweight, breathable, and waterproof? Not to mention, it's pretty good looking. Vessi has mastered the creation of waterproof functionality, and style. These shoes outsmart the weather and keep me ready for anything, rain or shine. I appreciate that I don't have to change my shoes just because the weather can't make up its mind. My Vessi shoes keep up with my day-to-day -day outings, style, and the weather. Most of the country is about to head into the rainy season. So why don't you head over to Vessi.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 15% off your order. You're welcome for that, by the way, guys. That's Vessi.com slash CHAIL. V-E-S-S-I dot com slash CHAIL. Use the code CHAIL. Save the 15%. Don't wait until your socks are wet. Be prepared and grab a pair. Cannoneer is taking on Roman, and I, I know that you guys aren't interested in that fight, but what that fight announcement tells us is that Cannoneer and Roman, for that matter, are not next for Sean Strickland. Like, that really is just such a great guess. It's such an incredible guess as to what's out there. Like, if you were to look at the usual suspects, you would have to dismiss Robert Whitaker, which is a surprise, right? I mean, it's almost hard to say. Four years? Is it five years? that Robert Whitaker has either been the number one contender, the number one ranked guy, or he's been the champion. Am I close on that time frame? It might be six years. So it's a very interesting spot when Robert's not in that, in that position. So then, of course, you have uh, Duplessis. Now, Duplessis could get the opportunity. He's just not going to be the one they want to give the opportunity. Like, things happen all the time. There, there's not anyone on the decision-making level at the UFC that's going to go, okay, Duplessis, we're going to give you an opportunity to compete with a guy who was willing to compete with a guy in an opportunity that was supposed to be yours and you declined. Like, that's, that isn't how it works. Not to mention, you would have a much bigger problem if Duplessis was to win. Like, a, a really big middleweight fight right now is Duplessis versus Adesanya. There's just resistance on making that prediction. If you couldn't make that fight happen, 
when it was for the world championship. It's tough from a logical standpoint to, to believe that you can make that fight happen when you remove the greatest prize that you had in the first place. Doesn't mean that you can't. Guys do weird stuff all the time. I'm just sharing with you, it wouldn't be the first phone call they would make because they would assume if we failed at this already and now we've removed the championship, we're going to fail again. I think they could be wrong. I think that you could make that fight. But moreover, if you were to put Duplessis against Sean Strickland and Duplessis wins, you're now going to have a hard time making Duplessis versus Adesanya. Like getting Adesanya back to the belt in a fashion that doesn't go through Sean Strickland isn't going to be the ideal path. So then you look at the obvious suspects of Chimaya versus Paulo Costa. And as obvious as that is, time is ticking down. And the big announcements still haven't been made. Not to I'm talking about the announcement that that'll be the number one contenders match. Not to mention, Chemayev and Paulo Costa are not acting and behaving. If you look at the way they both act and behave before they've had fights, neither one of them is acting and behaving as though they're going to fight. And, I mean, this is a situation where both sides are very loose. There was a Muhammad Ali fight. I'm trying to think of who we fought. Was this the thrill in Manila? It's a very well-known story, though. Muhammad Ali goes to his corner and tells his corner, cut off my gloves. I'm done. He's in the corner. He says, cut them off. Cut, the, they're ta- cut them off. And if you remove your gloves in the corner, that means I quit. I'm done. And, and Muhammad Ali was dead serious. Cut them off, and the corner would not do it. And an argument ensued. Muhammad Ali was not asking them. He was instructing them. He was telling them. And an argument ensued. And in the course of the argument, the opponent threw in the towel. So both guys went to their corner and quit. But one cornerman acted faster than the other cornerman. And I'm sharing it from that standpoint if Paulo Costa knows how scared Chemayev is to do this fight, and Chemayev knows how scared Paulo Costa is to do the fight, that might get them both there. I think they're both looking around going, okay, I'm not coming after you, and I'm not doing media, and I'm not making claims that I generally always do. But I notice that you're not either. Do we have the same secret? Do I not want to fight you, and you don't want to fight me? Because that, that could then get them to fight each other. But there's just something very bizarre going on with everybody's behavior towards that fight. And it it feels like that's the one thing that's holding that up from being named a number one contenders match. It has already been stated if Chemayev wins his next fight and it's at 185 pounds, he will then fight for the belt. Now, it was a different world at that time. Adesanya was the champion. It was was just a different situation. But I'm telling you, that that has never been pulled back. So I believe that that's still on the table. Chemayev and Sean Strickland used to be training partners. Does that matter? Is that a big deal? I don't think so to either one of them. They're not still training partners. They live in different continents. I don't think that that's a problem. Then if Paulo Costa was to beat Chemayev, I think that opens the door. I think, boom, problem solved. Now we're not having a discussion. Paulo Costa versus Strickland, get them together. They were top contenders at the same time. Now they can be title challengers. I did read a report that there was a pushback on giving a push to Paulo Costa because he's only fought two times in two years. I don't know how accurate that is, but it is really hard to figure out who you think is going to be next for Sean Strickland, particularly when Sean isn't calling anybody out. Sean isn't giving a nudge in any such direction. 
Nobody's going to be picked for that match, which isn't even going to take place until 2024, until after Paulo Costa versus Chemayev. And it does feel as though the winner of that is going to be the number one contender. It feels that way. It seems that way. But if that's the case, who should Robert Whitaker fight next? And therein lies a little bit of a problem. Who should Duplessis fight next? Should we just do Duplessis and Adesanya now? Even though the belt is gone, should we try to make that fight now? Because if you start to look at all of the pieces and you start to really try to figure out who it's going to be, if you're not acknowledging the, that Paulo Costa versus Chimaev is the number one contenders match, then you're forced to accept what you've been trying to deny the entire time that you started this riddle, which is they're going to do a rematch. It's going to be Strickland versus Izzy. Colby Covington has challenged Islam Makhlchev. As a matter of fact, Colby has offered Islam a title fight. Moreover, Colby is not the champion yet and doesn't have a title to offer Islam, which makes this all the better. Now, to start at the beginning, Colby Covington it got announced he's going to be fighting Leon Edwards. And we knew these two were going to fight. We knew it was going to be for the championship, but we finally have a date that's going to come up at the end of the year in December. Colby did an interview, said that essentially he's going to go right through Leon. Leon has absolutely no chance, I believe, was the quote. But moreover, he started talking about his first title defense. And he said that there is nobody compelling within the welterweight division. There is nobody deserving. There is no true proven contenders. And therefore... He will be taking on Islam Makhlchev. Now, I love it. I love it not in the slightest that I predict for you that that fight is going to happen. Not in the slightest. However, I do think we're going to hear from Islam. I do think now the ball is in Islam's court. Is he going to try to go up? Is Islam going to create all sorts of problems at 155? You get all the 55-pounders riled up which is going to spill down to the 45 pounders, or at least the king of 45, Volkanovsky, who thought Islam was going to stay right there and he could come up to him. I mean, if he finds out that Islam's leaving and going to 170, it all but ends the chances of a discussion for a 45 pounder. So, moreover, and I could only guess, I could only guess what was going through the great chaos's mind when he said this. But I do feel as though it was turnabout being fair play. Blal Mohammed, who is the top contender. It's very hard to say number one contender, right? It's very hard only because that's a vernacular that continually gets misused and misunderstood. And I don't want to be part of that. The number one contender is not who's been identified. It's not who's number one ranked. The number one contender is whoever has an official bout agreement signed against the champion. You could be ranked number six, like Sean Strickland was, and still be the number one contender. Now, I'm telling you from this perspective because Lahal's done everything right. And part of doing everything right is he's accepted nothing. He could read an official article. He could hear an official statement, and he will come out and come over the top of it to tell you that it's wrong and all the reasons why which is the right thing to do. 
There are no rules that he needs to follow in terms of who's going to fight where and when and what makes sense and all these other things that people are happy to fall in the line for after they hear somebody else say. Blahal did none of those things. As a matter of fact, Colby flies out to England, is the alternate fighter, is named the moment Leon and Usman are done as being next. And Blahal Muhammad never accepted that once. He said, no, I'm next. He came out. He made all of his arguments. Take it away from Colby. He he was gaining some traction when Leon agreed with Blahal and refused to fight Colby. I mean, not for nothing, I have to bring to you. Blahal Muhammad is next. That's been stated. This isn't Shale's opinion. This has been stated. That was a deal and an arrangement that was made when Blahal and Gilbert Burns agreed to fight on short notice. That deal was made to both of them. This will be the number one contenders match. So I bring it to you because if there was a part of Colby that instead of following the script that is so clearly laid out for us, I mean, it it is crystal clear that the winner of Leon Colby draws in to Blahal or Blahal draws into them, however you choose to say that, and Colby all of a sudden throws a swerve, he doesn't call out another 70-pounder. He doesn't give an acknowledgement or a headline to any 170-pounder. He goes to another division completely. Again, there's no part of me that believes this fight's going to happen, but there's no part of Colby that believes this fight's going to happen, right? This is how things get created. It starts with an idea. Somebody has to first say it, and who knows where it goes from there. I'm over here talking about it. You guys are going to leave comments on it. Somebody else might grab it. And then you've also got, I mean, don't forget, now now, now you've got the ball in Islam's court to a degree where Islam can start speaking up and start having problems. All of a sudden, something that was meant off the cuff as a possible way to backhand the fellow division and Mohammed specifically, potentially, turns into something, right? And don't forget, Ali Abdelaziz is the manager of Islam Makhlchev. Ali is the manager, I believe, of Blahal Muhammad, but I know he was the manager of Kamara Usman. I'm just reminding you of the history between Colby and Ali specifically. So now you're calling out one of all these guys. I mean, just don't be surprised if they respond. Don't be surprised if something that Colby set down with no literal meaning behind it actually turns into something. I don't believe it turns into a fight, but I do believe it turns into something. And at a minimum, it's going to be a headache for Bilal, who has created an incredible storyline that just had a wrench thrown into it. It is for that reason that I like Colby's call-out of Islam. the number one question I get asked all the time. What's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep. And honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. 
Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL. Vera did a very interesting interview. He was talking about USADA, and he said, I would rather die than cheat. You know what? He was telling the truth. You take one look at Cheeto and know that he's not breaking the rules, but these were the words of a very honest man. Like, he said to beat USADA is very easy. It'll cost about $20,000. You just got to have about $20,000 to buy the right stuff and go to the right doctor who will give you good, clean products and tell you how to flush them out of your system. And he said USADA only comes from 6 to 6. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. He wishes they would come randomly and 24-7. And I could continue on going with Cheeto Vera said. The point is he's innocent. He's innocent to the point that there's not a single thing that he said there was right. But but that but that's what an innocent guy would do, right? <laughs> and you just have to take my word for this. When I started taking testosterone, testosterone would do certain things to you. And you would only know that if you were on testosterone. So I had teammates that not only would not admit to testosterone, they would deny it. One of them denied it right to me. Facebook, he brought it up. I didn't bring up the topic. He brought it up to me. Well, I would never want to take that. I would never do that. And he's telling me, and I'm looking right at him. And I know he's taking testosterone. I had a teammate that was warming up one time. And he was in the back and he couldn't warm up. He couldn't, he couldn't hit the mitts to warm up because his shoulders were so tired. They were so fatigued. I wasn't even there. I got a phone call. Told me, God, it was really weird. Couldn't even warm him up. His shoulders were frozen. It's testosterone. 100%. It's one of the first things that testosterone does. It creates just a fatigue here. I couldn't begin to tell you why. But I knew right I knew right then just from getting that phone call. So I tell you those stories to elaborate that there are things that a guilty guy would say when he's lying, but there's also things that an innocent guy would say. I mean, literally not one thing that Cheeto said there is accurate. But I'm complimenting him. He doesn't know because he doesn't know. USADA does not just come from 6 to 6, just for example. I mean, when I tell you there's not one thing that Cheeto said that's accurate, there is not one thing that he said that is accurate. But as far as beating USADA, that is a very interesting thing. And they are very difficult to beat. There, There is for sure a way to do it. But it's not necessarily within the medicine, right? I mean, that stuff could change and there could be stuff out there that, that, that I'm not privy to. That would be hard and unlikely, but there could be. And there's also things that USADA is not privy to as far as detecting on an assay, but they know they aren't privy to it. They don't disclose that, but they do know it, and they're working on things. And once they work on things and they catch up, they don't tell you. So, so many people that get caught, 
right? They did 10 years of a career, and they've got all these records, and they get caught one time, oh, my God, just, I did it last week. It was the worst decision I ever made. No, they did it for 10 years, but USADA didn't have the technology to catch them just by example. There are ways to be USADA, but they're sophisticated. Here, I'll, I'll just give you one example. I'll just give you one just to, to prove the point. There is an extremely specific hotel in this world that is there to beat USADA. There is a hotel that will not let you through the gates without a pass. They know who USADA is and they won't let them in. They will hide you when you get, you will go there. You will be put in care in a VIP trip. You will be taken places. Food will be brought to you. You will be absolutely isolated. And they will take the weight for it. I'm going to leave it at that. There's one place. I'm going to leave it at that. There's there's other ways to beat them, but it's not necessarily with the substance. It's within protocols like that. I'm dancing a little bit right now, aren't I? Yeah, I am. I am, but 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 it is it is an interesting thing, and USADA does continually catch up. That is one thing that is missed. There was a number of Olympic champions, including here from the United States, that could not be any more dirty. And those samples are preserved. It's just a matter of if USADA went back and tested them. I mean, we have a number of Olympic champions that did not win that gold and would not have won the gold if it wasn't for anabolics and other performance-enhancing drugs. And that is a known thing. The Olympic Committee will give your samples back to the testing agencies many years later. Many people will go out and be stripped. Other people will have metals elevated. I mean, this, this is a very real thing. And some of them have got to sit around with their fingers crossed because some of what they did in the year 2000 or 2004 wasn't detectable, but it most certainly is now. And all they got to do is go pull the sample. What's the chances they're going to do that? Probably pretty small. But it could happen. And moreover, I, I think I just wanted to make a point to you. One, to clear USADA. Like, there's nothing there that Cheeto said that was accurate. That's not to give Cheeto a hard time. The fact that Cheeto doesn't even know the rules, and he was very sincere when he said it. He believed it to be true. The fact that he doesn't even know the rules also speaks to the fact that he is not trying to manipulate them. You get an expert in the rules, which is me, but I've got to be an expert because I'm attempting to beat them at all times. So as far as the piece, does USADA come six to six? No. Will 20 grand and a good doctor provide you with a substance to clear your system of beat USADA? No. Is Cheeto Vera absolutely clean? And he would prefer to die than to cheat? Yeah. Miami Dolphins play the Denver Broncos. This is a football team, okay, guys? NFL. <coughs> Final score was 70 to 20 for Miami. And there's an all-time record that is 73 points. Like the most points ever scored in a game is 73 points. They have 70, Miami, and they take a knee. There's time on the clock and they take a knee. Now, that is so disgusting to me. I mean, it, it, it's disgusting to an infuriating standpoint. And the head coach for Miami came out and said, that's not what we came here to do. And running up the score doesn't send the message that I believe we're here to send. Now, I believe him. Like, that is inundated throughout the culture of football. It is not the competitive game that they lead you to believe. They will put in second strings. They will quit running plays. They'll run instead of pass or pass instead of run, whichever one they're worse at. They'll do what they can 
to not have a score differential in a sport that is directly determined by a score differential. And I would I would just never make it as, as a coach for that. I, I'll watch a football game, and I'll see these guys running on the side. They're jumping up and down. They break through these paper. They're running. Ah, and then they jump, and they, they jump in the air, and they, like, hit each other in the chest. And it's basic biology, guys. Anything that's red hot can only cool off. And there's no great athlete that you've ever seen that would behave like that. You've never seen Jordan run onto the court before the game starts and use up all of his emotion and energy before the clock is running. You've never seen Floyd Mayweather do that. You've never seen Tiger Woods do that. You've never seen Serena. You've never seen Simone. You can even use it in football. When these guys are running, they're jumping up and down, they're breaking through the paper, and they're, they're, they're screaming and going crazy. High school... NCAA, NFL, when they're doing that, you don't see John Elway joining them. You don't see Joe Montana joining them. You don't see Peyton Manning joining them. They walk onto the court calmly. They don't use up their energy. They don't, they don't hoop and holler. They wait till the clock starts. Then they use that energy to score points. I only bring it to you because it's this very different uh, mental concept. And to see a team run out the clock instead of scoring points is so anti-competitive to anything you would ever want to teach. And when the Miami, Miami Dolphins coach came out and said, it sends the wrong message. I wish he would have furthered that thought. Well, what is your message, coach? Only score when you have to? Only score enough? Beat the spread? Stay behind records. Don't get attention. Don't don't give your guys playing opportunities. Don't give them workouts. Show mercy. Like what what is your message? And it just has to do with the way you came up. I don't even know that coach's name. I just know that he said that. But I guarantee he came up this way. The people that coached him, his own father perhaps, but the people that he respected, they told him these things. He thinks he's noble and righteous to do this. There is nothing in sport more disrespectful to your opponent than playing with him. Nothing. If you have the ability to score and you don't, it doesn't matter if you're throwing fights. It doesn't matter if you're throwing rounds. It doesn't matter if you're throwing plays. If you have an ability to bring your best against an opponent and you don't do that, you're now playing with them. You're now showing them charity. It is humiliating. There is nobody out in Denver right now that watched you win 70 to 20 and thought that you were a gentleman for not going for 73. If there's time on the clock, you play ball. If you're not here to play ball when there's time on the clock, we have a major legal issue. The government regulates the sport of combat, but if somebody was to throw a fight or throw a round... You have a legal issue at this point. And for the NFL to stand back and for the football community to act as though that was sportsmanship and or brave and or appropriate, it's anti-sport and it's against what you came to do. You sold tickets to people promising them four quarters of play. 
Then you took a knee and ran out the clock instead of playing the four quarters. It's not right. It's not the right message. And the Miami coach is not noble for doing this. He's corrupt. He's crooked. He followed the culture of the sport, but that culture should be looked at. And everybody that bought a ticket to that game and everybody that advertised in that game deserves some money back. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and for leaving reviews of the show on Apple Podcasts like this one from Anthony, which says this is a must-listen podcast. Well, thank you, Anthony, for the five-star review, and I do hope you all come back for more from me on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.